0: Glad you came out tonight. First Timothy chapter one. You know what I did this morning, Sister Taylor? I uh there's a couple green here. Give these a Taylor here. Oh, sorry. I am bad. But there's like a handful of Tootsie Rolls left and I just went and gave them brother Jared and the boys back there. But I, I paid for them, so. What? I did? Oh, well, I'm good at that. <laughs> amen. You thought I was paying them off, right? All right. If you're here today and you're saved and you're happy you're going to heaven, say amen. 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 Okay. The rest of you <laughs> deal with it. You're going there anyways if you're saved. All right. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for Calvary. And Father, we thank you for a perfect Bible. Father, would you one more time open our eyes and may behold wondrous things of thy law. And Father, would you bless your word. uh, It's preached tonight. Bless your word everywhere it's being preached around this country where preachers are still willing to stand behind the old King James Bible and not compromise and give their people the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now uh, let's uh, just go back to verse 1 here. I'm not going to go over that thing, but I want to read you a couple verses here. Back to verse one, 1, Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And of course, that hope's in the person. That hope is in the second coming of Jesus Christ, amen? And I uh, sure hope he comes even tonight even right before we're done, and if he does, he can pick up where we leave off, and we'll sit at his feet for all eternity. Amen? Uh, look what he says. He says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Of course, we talked about this. Grace always comes before peace. You see that? You've got to have his grace to do what you need to do, what you can do and what you can't do, and the peace comes after that. Notice he says in verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. I'll give you a real practical thought real quick. Now I know we're we're way past this. But here's the thing you've got to look at. Here's young Timothy. He's been wanting to serve the Lord. He's been wanting to do something, right? Ten years. We figure he'd been serving uh, uh, with the Apostle Paul for ten years in the shadows. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody Like Elisha, right? And nobody knows who he is. He's pouring water on the hands of the old preacher, the old prophet there. And Paul says, as I besought thee to abide, what? Still. You know the hardest things for young Christians to do? Be still. And I just thought I'd bring that out as he's he's beseeching this young preacher who wants to serve the Lord and want to do one of the hardest things you and I will do, and I'll just assume you all are young, Amen. The hardest thing you'll do is to sit still, put some Velcro on your back seat, and say, all right, here it is. I want to serve you. I want to do something for you. But you got to sit still. You read over there in the book of Jeremiah, you know what the Israel, the, the people in Judah, you know what their strength was. Their strength was to sit still. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, people these days think that if they're not going 100 miles an hour, they're not doing something for the Lord Baloney. Mary found that which was good, and she sat at the feet of Jesus. So, I just charge you what Paul said, besought thee to abide still, still at Ephesus. And yep, he was the preacher there. He was the pastor, he did the work. He says, When I went into Macedonia, thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So, we talked to you about the emphasis, the importance about sound doctrine. He says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So, what we see there is that the child of God needs edifying, needs built up. Amen? We went into good detail, great detail about that. Not only, see, look, you need edifying through preaching. You need to be edified through uh, preaching about, like we preached this morning, getting the ark. Amen? Now, it's an Old Testament story. And, of course, we're not talking about the flood of waters, and I'm not going to repreach that. But you need to be edified by that to remind people that judgment's coming. You need to be edified by preaching about laziness. Amen. You need to be edified by preaching about diligence, by preaching about faithfulness. You need to hear preaching about you need to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ, but it's got to be balanced. Amen. And you need that, but also you just need the personal application of edification, which is, hey, you're doing a good job. I appreciate you. I do. And that's what we're lacking. It's like if we're faithful and we got the gold star and we're, Dress the way we think we should be dressed, and we're doing something for Jesus, but yet are you edifying anybody? That's the whole point. And uh, we need effic- we need built up, and it's good to hear you're doing a good job, isn't it? That's the problem with us preachers. Us preachers, we're just as human as you are, and a preacher, he's guilty of either making you lower than you should be, or he's guilty of putting you higher than you should be. My old sales, <laughs> my old sales boss said, he said, you're never as bad as you think you are, but you're never as good as you think you are either, so we're you you're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> a lot of truth there look at verse uh, five he says, now the end of the commandment's got a result, doesn't it? end of the commandment got a it's got a result. The end of the commandment is what charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Three things there we went into pretty good detail there. But uh, the end of the commandment, three things, charity. I want, you, I want to show you this thing real quick on charity before we move back to verse 5 and 6, where I go to First Corinthians chapter 13, you know it. Uh, uh, Christianity calls it the love chapter. I don't care what you call it, but the right word for it's charity. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a very well-known passage, right? Probably too well-known. It gets spouted off at weddings, it gets changed all the time. Um and so what happens is first Corinthians chapter thirteen it becomes it becomes what do you call it? I can't think of the right word to use. I'll think of it in just a second once I, I look at my notes. <clears throat> it's a great stumbling block is what it is. And here it is, it's a stumbling block for Christians who don't like negative truth. But that's not it. It's not it. It's a stumbling block not only for Christians who don't want negative truth, but it's also a stumbling block for Christians who are all about nothing but negative truth. Remember we had preached a while back about, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? We preached out of Proverbs chapter 4. And we preached about the balance. And sometimes you've got to get your bearings, and Solomon said, don't go to the right, don't go to the left, but ponder the path of thy feet. Sometimes the Lord doesn't want you to react. He just wants you to sit still and figure out where in the fire you're at. Well, here's a great place in the scriptures because the liberal Christians will go, well, you know, we've got to change this because we don't like negative truth. And then the Bible believers, they'll come along and they'll think because they embody everything the passage is talking about. They also are stumbled. It's a great stumbling block because they forget the whole chapter is about charity. Look at it. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And I know some of you know this stuff, but just act like you don't, right? But uh, Bible believers are really good at what? At learning other languages. They are. Bible believers are really good at mission work, right? So I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as a sounding brass. You ever heard the gong show? The older people probably did. They get up there and perform, this back in the 70s, and they get up there and perform this crazy act. And if it was, if it was terrible, they get up and bong and hit the gong, right? Well, if you don't have charity, it don't matter how many languages you speak. You know what the Holy Spirit's up there going? Bong, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Look at verse 2. Paul says, and though I have the gift of prophecy. Isn't that what everyone brags about these days in Christianity? Oh, I got this gift. You know, I've got the mechanical gift. Not me. I'm just speaking like as if I did. It'd be kind of neat, right? But some of you got the gift of mechanics. Some of you got the gift of gab, right? Some of you got the gift that Betty Crocker has, right? Some of you got the gift of, uh, you know, you can speak well to other people. Some of you can cook. He says, though I have the gift, look at it, prophecy, You know what Bible believers are pretty good at? Figuring out prophecy. They do. They don't get sucked into all this baloney. They don't get sucked into all this Tim LaHaye garbage. They don't get sucked into progressive dispensationalism and all the rest, whatever you want to call it. They don't. They got the gift of prophecy. How about this? And I have the gift of prophecy and what? Understand all mysteries. There's seven of them. I preach them once a year. You know what? I know most of you got in the flyleaf of your Bible somewhere notes about the seven mysteries, yes, whether you got them from me or the old preacher. You still got it, and you you, you, you right. So we're on the right path. He says all mysteries. He says uh, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. There's a lot of things. Don't you, as Bible believers, know more about this book than just the average guy that goes to church once in a while? Don't you feel like sometimes in your conversation that you're kind of above the pay grade? Maybe it's okay. Now, don't get a big old stinking head for it, but the more you start learning about this book, the more you're acquired of it. He says, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, don't, don't you have a good measure of faith to do what you can do for Jesus Christ? Hasn't it grown since you got a hold of the King James Bible? Sure it has, but notice what he says, so that I could remove mountains, as if you could do it, you could do it. <laughs> I mean, there are some people, I know some Bible leaders, man, that... They don't even have to have a financial backing. They'll just go to a foreign country and get a work done. There's something to be said about that type of faith. Me, I need somewhere to sleep, man. You say, what's wrong? Don't you have faith? I do have faith. Just not as much as some. But what I have, I have. And uh, he says, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. Guess what? Nothing. It don't count. You're a big zero. Don't matter whether you know the mysteries, you got all the prophecy down, if you don't have charity, if you're not a charitable Christian, you're a big, stinking zero. How about that, Bible believers? I don't know who else to preach to. I mean, you're here tonight, I'm assuming, and I know that's a dangerous word, you're a Bible believer. Who you might preach to? The Baptist down the road? Who cares? They're worshiping God. Let them alone, man. How about you and your walk with Jesus Christ? Look at three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, don't we do that if we have a chance? If one of your brothers or sisters in Christ in here needed some food, wouldn't you empty your stinking cupboard out? You sure you would? I, that's why I'm careful what we commit to because you guys will go over and above. I mean, I mean, we could be doing ping pong gymnastics for this, that, and the other, right? But man, whenever we find a need, I remember one time one uh, one of our older gals they needed some money to pay a bill, and you brought 900 bucks and two off. I'm like, good grief! I'm like, I got to have a bill in there somewhere. <laughs> right? Why is that? Well, uh, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, if you guys find out about a need, you'll get after it, as every good Bible believer would. But look what he says, and though I give my body to be burned, you ever seen something like that happen before? In 1973, that Buddhist monk outside of Vietnam poured gasoline all over himself and lit himself on fire in protest of the government. That's, that's That's pretty radical, ain't it? He believed in a cause, didn't he? Nothing wrong with him. Buddhist monk, doused himself with gasoline. And Paul was way ahead of his time. He said, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Look at four. Charity suffereth long. You got charity as a Christian? Sure do, preacher. All right, can you take anything on the chin? Or are you right there on the brink of absolute exasperation? Oh! Just waiting for your opportunity to get torqued. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's a, it's a stumbling block. I mean, Monday's tomorrow, right? You got to get up with the same alarm I'm getting up with. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay, you don't, brother. Now you're bragging, but you'll be up early anyways. <laughs> Something about you know length of days does that, you know. <laughs> Charity suffereth long and is what? Kind. <laughs> I almost can't say that word some days. You know, it's hard to be kind when you wake up in the morning and your wife wants to talk to you. Why? I don't want to talk in the morning. Hey Amen. Get out of my face. I need coffee. She starts asking me questions like, ooh, no. Be kind. Charity is kind, right? Hardest thing in the world is to be kind. But yet the world, they'll wear shirts and they have no idea where they got it from and they'll say, be kind. Can you be kind? That's charity. It sure is. That's a hard thing. Charity envieth not. You see that? Someone else gets blessing. Someone else gets recognized. Someone else gets the the leading part, the leading role, someone else gets uh, noticed for something and you don't get noticed, you envy it? I'm not a passage I'm just trying to hit this thing on charity so you get the right estimation of it, right? The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, not just some attributes of it. Um, charity envieth not. The verse in Proverbs says, who's able to stand before envy? Well... Not many people could. Jesus couldn't stand before it. They delivered him up for envy's sake. Envy slayeth the silly one, the Bible says. Uh, Not only that, but it says, vaunteth not itself. Charity vaunt, that means it don't boast. It don't boast. You good at something? You got to let everybody know about it? It's not very charitable. Charity Vaughn's not itself is not puffed up. One of the hardest things to do is know this book like some of you do and not get proud about it. Amen? The, the, The hardest thing that you'll deal with is refusing to buy a bigger hat size because you learned something about the Bible. There's a practical Christianity that says go out there and minister to people. And that's what we've got to learn to do. That's charity. Let's take, what you, let's take what you know and put shoe leather on it and go out in here and try to help people either get saved or get closer to Jesus Christ, not show off what you think you know. It says, uh, verse 5, "Doth not behave itself unseemly. You know what that is? It's decent, it's not crude, it's not rude, it's not sarcastic. The Bible believing Christianity is ridiculous half the time, and it's sarcasm, everything's a joke. Look, just because you have the truth in your lap doesn't mean you have to be a jerk because you got the truth. I never read my Bible except uh, one time the Lord laughed at uh, those Pharisees because uh, He said, "And I thank Thee, Father, Thou'st blinded uh, and so forth and so on and and revealed things to babes." One time. But as a rule of thumb, the Lord is very kind. He is very gentle. He is very gentle to the women. You ought to be careful when you're talking to the sisters in Christ. Don't behave yourself unseemly. You better watch what you say. You see that? You better be decent. Did not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Not looking to make it like a business uh, platform. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Look, there's, there's no ranks to come up through in the local church. Fair? There's no ranks. There's no business ranks. You're either saved or you're not saved. If you want to get involved and help vacuum the floor, it's okay, volunteer, you're hired. You do a great job, we'll double your pay. <laughs> Amen. But there's no ranks here. But the question is are you at least trying to be among those that are counted? Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Is that is that your is that your type of charity? Can, can you take a few on the chin like we talked about up in Suffereth Long? Not easily provoked. I mean, everything just don't set you off. I'm, ch- I'm trying to show you what charity is, according to the Bible. And then you got Thinketh No Evil. Someone uh, messes around uh, that's a saved, born-again child of God. Do you always put him in the doghouse? Or do you pray for him? Someone acts like a proverbial two-year-old. Uh, do you try to slap him around? Do you try to help him? The old preacher said this, so when someone did something really stupid, he says, well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you set them straight, and why don't you tell them off? And the older preacher, then the old preacher said, well, would you like slapping two-year-olds? Right? What's it really going to benefit you? Well, he says, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Now, there's a mouthful, right? You realize what charity isn't? Do You realize what charity isn't? Well, half of what you watch on the television. And you chuckle and you laugh and you guffaw and slap your knee and just think it's all hilarious and this is, this is just funny as all get out. Hey, charity doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It ought to embarrass you. It ought to shame you. Well, a preacher, you're narrow-minded. Oh, a little bit, maybe. Rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now here it is. You rejoice in the truth. Absolutely. You rejoice in Calvary. Praise the Lord. You rejoice when the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're proud. He says, negative truth. <laughs> you rejoice when the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you've been looking places you shouldn't. That's truth. But it's negative truth. You see how that works? That's where it's a stumbling block for some Christians because this thing's full of negative truth. He says, beareth all things. Do you bear all things? Or do you just lose your stuff? <laughs> trying to be kind here. You just lose your, I can't, I can't take it anymore. <sighs> you know. Whatever that means, you know, you know, you're all out of balance, out of kilter, right? Beareth all things. How about this? Believeth all things. You see some brother or sister go do something crazy. You believe that they'll turn around for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, or do you write them off? You see what I mean? Charity doesn't write people off. That's a hard one. I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm dealing with that stuff right now. I've got an inward desire to write people right off the face of the earth. And the Lord says, it's not a very charitable germ. You know what charity does? It believeth all things. It believes they'll turn around. It believes they'll do right. How about this one? Not only does it believe it, but it hopes it. We're kind of cyclical in nature, aren't we? We're cynical. That's the word I'm looking for. Circular too, right? Cynical. Someone does something wrong, well, that's it. That's their bed. They, they, laid, they made it, and they're going to lay in it. And they're never going to recover. Oh, well, that's a great dose of charity there, buddy. <laughs> it says, hopeth. All things. Don't you hope some of the things that are wrong on this side get righted before the judgment seat? Don't you hope that some of the misunderstandings get worked out and hashed out and aired out before the judgment seat of Christ? I do. Why? I don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ for that. But that's charity. Charity beareth all things. Charity believeth all things. Charity hopeth all things. And charity endureth. And just puts up with whatever comes. And it doesn't shake your face. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now face it, we get offended. We burn. and We get upset. But the right amount of charity in our life, guess what? We'll endure all things. Look at this. Uh, eight Charity never faileth. So that's just some things about charity. You've got to pick up on that thing charity is not just whether i'm doing a couple things right charity is huge charity in the christian life in verse 5 there go back to 1 timothy chapter 1 verse 5 we'll move on christian what you got to constantly do is always be looking inwardly not outwardly you look inwardly because you have the truth of the king james bible does not mean that you have everything right it means you have the right book <laughs> and thank god you do and because you have the right book, then the Lord can speak to you through that book if, you, if you're getting in it regularly. He says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. You see that? And so that pure heart is what dictates what kind of charity you have. Yeah. Whatever kind of you got a dirty heart, well, then you're going to see the chinks in your charity there. <laughs> and it says, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling jangling and we say like we said earlier, charity is love and action and anyone that's got charity like I said this morning I believe it's many of you here tonight I mean that I'm just not saying that because I want to fill your head with I mean I believe it I believe that some of you are stretched so far like we said earlier you're stretched so far like a rubber band that you get stretched so far and then you bust and then you take both ends you tie them back together and you go again I believe that's what you do And that's true charity out of a pure heart. And I believe you give of yourself because you love God and love others. You say, well, how can you make that assertion? Because after stuff gets done around here, I don't ask for it. We don't have a committee to oversee the committee, to make a committee, to think about a meeting, to plan a meeting. Stuff just gets done. You know what that is? That's charity. Oh, no, preacher, that's poor organization. Help yourself. We're not a business. We're not for sale. I understand let all things be done decently in order, but the amount of unity that you all have in here is amazing. And what charity is meant, charity is meant to teach you. But in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart of a good conscience of faith unfeigned. We're not teaching you the law. We're teaching the gospel of the grace of God, and we covered that this morning right before we cut off. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're not teaching you the law. Now, look, I'm not against the law in its proper place, but that law will never save you. And I believe everybody understands that, but listen, when you end get up un- getting hooked up on the law and you get strung out on the law and you don't know its proper place, and then you start acting uh, nuts, then you start trying to regulate people. And you stop trying to pursue your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you start getting everyone else's business. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you need to do a checkup on yourself. If you're worried about what everybody else is wearing, you're worried about where everyone else has been and where they're eating pizza at or where they're having wings at, or you worry about where everyone's shopping at, you've got a stinking problem with your own heart. Amen. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 15, 3. It means you're wrapped up in the law. This is the gospel of the grace of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. So the Lord gave it to Paul personally. Okay? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection. That's the gospel of the grace of God. And uh, what's going on here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 4 to 6, is you got some of these uh, these Jews and they're coming in and they're trying to teach the law. That's what they're trying to do. So Paul's like, look, when they come in here, them wrestles come in here, you hold their feet to the fire and you get after them. You don't let them do that. Why? You're the pastor, you're you're there in Ephesus, and I'm telling you, you don't let them teach any. Other doctrines. So if you want to know why they'd be doing this, why in the world would these Jews, these Levites be doing that? You can find that over in Ezra chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. You can write that down and, and run that out later. But the reason they're doing that, you find that in Ezra chapter 7, 1 to 6. And uh, those Levitical priests were to teach the commandments. Those Levitical priests were supposed to teach uh, the commandments of Malachi 2, 5 to 8. So, there's an Old Testament reason they're doing it, but Paul's like, no, it it ain't happened. Why? Because the transition has been made. They're preaching the gospel, the grace of God. The law cannot save you. Sabbath keeping cannot save you. Bus ministries can't save you. Keeping ordinances can't save you. All that other stuff ain't going to matter a row of pins. And that's what you got to understand. But we don't teach those things today, we teach Paul's gospel. Look at Acts chapter 13. And if you're going to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And if you're all about that you've got to get everything done overnight, then then you're not the guy to do it, especially in these days. Let me tell you what. I've been out of the classroom setting for almost 35 years. 93. How many years is that? High school setting. 89. Someone do the math. I, I'm not a mathematician. Forty years? No. Thirty years? Thirty years? I've been out. Let me tell you what. You're not teaching. You're not teaching today what they taught thirty years ago. That's why I was always getting that. You see what I mean? You're not going to go in there and you're not going to do anything overnight. You know what you're going to do overnight? You get frustrated. You're going to flop. These things take time. Look at Acts 13, 38. Uh, This is what we teach. This is Paul's gospel. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, that's talking about Jesus Christ, is preached unto you what? The forgiveness of sins. most liberating thing you could ever find out in your entire life is Jesus Christ will save a sinner just like you. Look at 39. And by him all that believe are what? justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. All right, that's the gospel of the grace of God, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Timothy, look at uh, verse 9, 1 verse 9. He says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. So first of all, what I want you to see here out of verse 9 is that the commandment is here to reveal sin. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin. And we went through this when we went through that Sunday school class about telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ, but you use the law to show people they're a sinner. Nothing wrong with the law in its proper place, but you use it to show them they're a sinner. I told you the story up in Roger City one time, and this fellow a track, and the first thing out of his mouth is, oh, I keep all Ten Commandments, which I've heard other preachers say that people said that before. I couldn't believe he actually told me. I'm like, good grief, man. I'm just going to get a Big Mac. He ain't got to lie to me like that, you know. And so I threw it on him. I, for whatever reason, I was ready. I'm like, all right, well, name him for me. He's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he couldn't name one. <laughs> Shame on him. I said, you don't have to lie to me. I just said, read the track. i will show you how to be saved. So you don't have to die and burn in hell forever. You have a good day, you know. But verse 9, you see the first thing in the commandment here is to reveal sin. I want you to see it. He's talking about the lawless. The law wasn't for a righteous man. Now, there's a, there, we're going somewhere with this, so stay with me. It was, it was for a lawbreaker, and it's to reveal sin. Look at Romans chapter 7. Now, there's only one thing in your Christian life that will give you the life that you need to live for Jesus Christ, and it's this book right here. And we said it before, we'll say it again. The more you turn the blessed pages, the more you love the rock of ages. Amen? And the one thing I've learned at 47 years young, young, that the more I turn these pages, the more it opens my eyes. And that's the best kind of workout. You, you, know, you know, the yellow pages, their theme was let your fingers do the walking. I, I, and, and, I, and I use the, the the phone, too, to check references on some things because it's a lot quicker. But you want a good workout? Turn the pages. There's something about turning them pages. You say, well, you're being spooky. No, I'm being real. Romans 7, 7, the Bible says, What shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I die. All right. You know when Paul was alive that one time? When he was a baby. He had no understanding of right and wrong. That's what he's talking about. All right. You know, when you're in your playpen, and you're goo goo and gaga, and all the rest of that stuff. You don't know whether you, all you know is if you, if you know to get food, you scream. To get your pants changed, you scream. That's all you know. Pretty good life, amen. And the older you get, kind of, kind of reverts back to that. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. so the law was given to reveal sin. Not only was the law given to reveal sin, but the law was given to bring a man to Jesus Christ. You see, there's a purpose for the law. One feller said, uh, you come into this world uh, toothless and hairless, and you usually go out the same way. <laughs> Galatians 3.24, there's a purpose for that law, but it's not for salvation. Now, if you've just been saved, it might be a little bit uh, difficult to understand some of this, but... Uh, if there's a division in your Bible, and to the left of it is the Old Testament, and to the right of it is the New Testament, and for the most part, to the right of the division is where it talks about Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. I mean, there's some transition stuff you got to work through, but to the left of it, it's all law. That's about as I know. There's exceptions all through their thing. That's the best way to describe it. All right, Galatians three twenty four. Paul says, "Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster." To bring us where? Unto Christ. Why? Just so we could learn about him? No. He says that we might be justified by faith. You see that? The law is a teacher. The law is a schoolmaster. You know what it says? You're a sinner. You know what the law says? You covet. The law says you're a thief. The law says you're an adulterer. The law says uh, you dishonored your parents. Uh, the law said you're a murderer. And it's supposed to bring you to a place where you realize that you can't do it yourself and you need Jesus Christ. And once you get to that place where you realize you can't do it on yourself, uh, yourself you can't save yourself, uh, then uh, that's the position where you need to be in, that you might be justified by faith. And that just, justified simply means just as if I'd never sinned. All right? Now, next, the law over in Romans chapter 7. Go back to Romans chapter 7. Uh, Paul says something about the law here you need to take note of. Now, I've hung around a lot of Christians before, and and their attitude about the law is pretty pathetic. And they're always downplaying the law and downplaying the law, and you better be careful about that thing. The law is perfect and proper in its place. There's nothing wrong with that law, but it won't save you. Uh, Romans 7, 12, uh, Paul says that the law is holy. What are you going to do with that? The Bible says the law is just. Paul says the law is good. Would you like to know something good? Do you know the law? Do you realize there's over 613 commandments in the law? It's more than just the Decalogue alone. <laughs> now look, I'm thankful that when Jesus Christ died on that cross over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, 11, 12, it said that he nailed all those ordinances to the cross for salvation. But he didn't cancel everything out and say, well, it's now terrible, it's a garbage, throw it out with the baby in the bathroom. Paul just said the law is holy, the law is just, and the law is good. But the law is not a means of salvation today in the dispensation of the church age. It's got a place, though. And as a Bible-believing Christian, you ought to know the place of that law. So it's meant to reveal sin. It's meant to draw a person to Jesus Christ. And it's designed to produce holiness in your life and remind you just how good that law is. Look at Galatians 2.16. Paul, over Galatians 2.16, he makes a doctrinal statement concerning the church age, not an ambiguous broad broad brush all the way back to Adam. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by by, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That is a definition, a doctrinal definition of New Testament salvation. That's how you got saved. For me, it was April 24th, 1983. You say, what you have to know? Well, I had to know that I was a sinner, number one. I couldn't save myself. Nothing I ever done was good enough. And I was headed to hell as good with the door shut. And so once I realized that, I had to believe on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ as He is the Son of God. Say, simplify it. I had to believe that Jesus Christ was who God said he was. And if I believed on what God said about his son, I'd get eternal life just by having that faith. And, uh, <clears throat> but you can't be justified by the law today. So here are these guys, all that stuff, all that weighty stuff. And isn't that a little bit weighty? A lot of, you, you, Some of you would call it, that's just word vomit. All that stuff about the law to tell you back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, these guys are at Ephesus in that church where Timothy's pastor. He's a young preacher, and they're popping up trying to teach the law as a way of salvation similar to the Judaizers that are popping up in the book of Galatians. And Paul says, look, when them rascals show up, shut them down. Don't you let them teach any other doctrine than that which I've given to you. And Paul said, thou hast fully known my doctrine." And that's what Paul's warning Timothy about. Look at verse 8. Back to verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So there's nothing wrong with the law in its proper place. You see that? Not a thing wrong with it at all. You know, I'll, I'll challenge you this. Don't you ever get to the place as a Christian where you wouldn't follow the law in its morality you wouldn't follow the law and its holiness. I'm not talking about you You can't go eat catfish. Help yourself with catfish. You go eat all the bacon you want. Just understand it is a class one carcinogen. And prolonged consumption just means you'll die a happy man. <laughs> right? But help, help yourself, right? But don't ever get to the place where you wouldn't obey the law, but you don't obey it for salvation. Amen? Where that law says "Be clean," then be clean. Where the law says "Be ye holy, for I am holy," then you need to work on personal holiness. Why? To win someone else to Jesus Christ. The way you should use the law is just like I said: by living clean enough to show a sinner his need for salvation. I'm not talking about that. You, you know, you and your family have to dress like the next Waco cult coming out of Texas or some. You know, some screwball organization that everyone thinks you just got the pla- That's not peculiar. That's weird. There's enough weirdos out there. Just look around. The problem with Christians is they're no longer balanced. And see, some, some, some of you might have the idea that unless I go way overboard the other way, then I'm not doing... No, 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 no. The Bible says a false balance is abomination to the Lord. Now, if the Lord tells you to do something, then then follow him. But listen, you don't have to be a weirdo to get people to realize that there's a difference between you and them. But you should use the law by by living clean enough to show a sinner his need for salvation. That law, what it does, it leads a man to Christ, right? Do not, go not, taste not, touch not. That's the law, rules and regulation. You still with me? The law is full of rules and regulation. You know what it's impossible to do? Regulate lost mankind. (laughs) You can set all the rules you want. That doesn't mean they're going to follow them. Some uh, Christians, they say, Well, I'm a free spirit. I'm a free bird, right? And yeah, we know, we can tell by looking at you. You can tell that crowd in a heartbeat. They look like the world, they dress like the world, they act like the world, and they smell like the world. That's a free bird. And they're saved, but their accent is constantly upon their freedoms. You ever run into them? Their accent's on their freedoms. Their accent's on their liberties. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm able to do this. Well, I'm a Christian, and I can do this. Okay, we didn't say you couldn't. What's your problem? Why are you shoving that at me? I didn't say you couldn't do nothing. But you ought to live your life in moderation as a Christian. We're talking about the use of the law. The use of the law in the life of a Christian should be used... To lead someone else to Jesus Christ, to live clean enough to show someone else their need for Jesus Christ, you ought to be balanced, not flipping out to the right, all hammered up with, hemorrhoided up with rules and regulations. You got a list a mile long, you know. Serious. and uh, But yet at the same time, it's not just all, you know, the sky's the limit, and you're all libertine. You, oh, I don't care what you do, do whatever you want, you know, free country, help yourself, you know, all that stuff. You don't go that way either. You ought to use the law in your life to show a sinner that he needs salvation. The lost ought to see a difference. And you've got to ask the question Does the lost man see a difference in my life? And you can't sit there and say it's just by dress alone. Now look, when your coworker comes and he brings a Bud Light shirt and he wears that, don't wear a stinking Bud Light shirt. Don't be stupid. Right? But I don't know, the first day on the job, it might not be the right day to wear, to wear the shirt that says Turner, bird or heaven or hell. I mean, at least wait till the second or third day, right? I <laughs> Help yourself, right? Free country. <laughs> but you ought to be balanced. The law, Don't you agree the lost ought to see a difference? And if they can't see it because you're both wearing a pair of Levi's, they ought to be able to see it after about four or five hours hanging out with you, that every time you slap your thumb with a hammer, you're not going to cuss your brains out. Yeah, I have a little bit of restraint. That, maybe that's the difference. Or maybe it's something as simple as you bow your head for a 30-second prayer at lunchtime. Oh, what's wrong? You sick? No, I'm praying. Pray what? I'm praying at the lunch. My wife made me don't kill me. <laughs> right? There's all kinds of ways you can introduce that thing. and uh, <clears throat> But you ought to be balanced. Now, look, Timothy's troublemakers here in 1 Timothy 1. I know there's a little bit of preaching in that, but this is about Timothy's troublemakers in chapter 1. They were using the law. And you're going to find out this thing comes out in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Look at 8 again. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. I mean, Paul knew it. Good night, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, right? He knew all about the law. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. All right, who are the lawless? It's the outlaws. It's those who are living openly outside of the law. And you know what they say? The law doesn't even exist. Those are the lawless. Someone said to the old preacher, who's my mentor, he said to one time, you're a legalist, to which he said, well, then, the way you live, you're illegal. <laughs> Pretty good. So the way you can live can be either legal or illegal, right? I guess I'd rather be legal than illegal. If you're going to touch not or taste not, then do it to get people saved. If you're going to have a set of rules and regulations for yourself... You can't be shoving them on everybody else. I'll take you Bible to go to Numbers chapter 1. I'm going to show you something right out of the old Victorian King James English. I'm going to shut down a bunch of this foolishness going on in the pulpits these days. Numbers chapter 1. You've got to figure out what kind of Christian you're going to be. You're going to be a Christian that's wrapped up in your personal convictions and your personal standards. You're going to be a Christian that's wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And some people can't differentiate between the two. Is it 52? Yeah, 52. This has to do with uh, uh, the mustering of the armies of Israel. Look at 152. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own what? You catching that? You picking it up? You don't live your life by my standard. That'd be a real mess. You see what I mean? You got preachers today. All they do is preach standards, standards, standards. I've got standards. What are they? I'm not going to tell you in front of everybody. You want to ask me in private? Different story. Some I'll tell you and some I'll tell you. Get your own, man. You see what that is, though? I'll read it again. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents. This is the book of God. Every man by his own what? So in Christianity, don't we have different camps? Sure do. And when we get into other camps, we go, they're weird. Yeah, it's because it's their own camp. Relax, man. It's all right. They're different. You're in the same family. That's hard, ain't it? And then he says this, every man by his own camp and every man by his own. You see that? Why don't you get you some standards? let just make sure they're yours. Ask the Lord, what kind of standards do you want me to have? And just be quiet. Stop taking everybody else's standards. They're not yours. You gotta find out what your own now, kids, you know what your standards are? They're your parents. Yeah. You don't have a say in the matter. <laughs> not not sorry, isn't that Theresis? Not sorry, yeah. You know, my standards, your standards, you live in my house. You don't like it, move out. I don't care. Every man by his own standard throughout their host. Now there's a lot of learning right there. I shut down a lot of stupidity from pulpits. If, uh, now listen, if you're going to touch not or taste not, then do it to get people saved. Amen? There's going to be something different about you in a righteous way that follows the morality of the law or then uh, adheres to any part of the law and how you live holy. Let it be done to lead someone to Jesus Christ, not so you can think you're some spiritual guru. Like if you, you, know, if you have a certain hair length, if you have a certain skirt length, that therefore you'll What? I get one more star on my crown? No, I ain't going to work that way. Now, listen, if you're going to do that, you better do it because uh, you want people to get, uh, Let me give you a crazy example, right? If I let my hair grow long, say, Preacher, you couldn't let your hair grow long. It just don't grow. All right, let me, let me step back. If I got myself a Mr. T starter kit in both ears, <clears throat> and I've started observing worldly methods in the church to get the crowd in, We got the little praise and worship band going, you know, polo shirts, little see-through pulpits there, skinny jeans. Now you want to see something disgusting, put skinny jeans on a fat boy, amen? But you know what happened? Y'all would think absolutely nothing about Jesus Christ, would you? You wouldn't think nothing about the Lord. But so when people see me in the suit and press shirt, opening that Bible, declaring, Thus saith the Lord, you know what it showcases? Jesus Christ. That's the difference. That's the old paths. I got a dress code for me, you know why? Because I want people to see there's a difference. But if you think I'm dressing like this to cut wood, you're crazy, man. Use on the flannel shirt and cordura pants and muck boots. You know what I look like, just a mess. You know, mud and everything flying, weird smells. I can go out and cut wood in a suit and tie. A preacher got up in a preacher convention. Here, a preacher, God called you to be a preacher. You should wear a suit everywhere you go. I looked at the boys and like, <laughs> you know, they're sticking their fingers up their nose and all that. Like, oh, got to cut wood in a suit and tie, man. What is that? Rules and regulations. But you use it for good. Back to verse 9. Next thing on that list talks about the disobedience. Disobedient. (laughs) She's touched. (laughs) Do thyself no harm. We're all here. (laughs) So those are the people that have read the law, the disobedient, right? They know the law. They've read the law. They just don't do it. Just like the Jews in the book of Romans, chapter 1, right? They know the law. God gave them the law. They disobeyed it. They know their sin, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, it says they have pleasure in doing it. Those are the disobedience. All right, another one, verse 9, for the ungodly. You see that? Those are the ones that conduct themselves like there is no God. You ever stop and think, I'll just get after you just for a second. You ever stop and think some days how ungodly you live and you don't even know it because you live as if there is no God? Some of you are ungodly in your driving. You drive Like there is no God. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And that thing's taught. Look at Jude. There's only one chapter. Go to Jude real quick. Verse 15. Talk about the ungodly. The ungodly are talked about in the book of Jude ad nauseum. Verse 15. One chapter. Some people uh, treat their body like there is no God. Amen. I mean, just killing it with caffeine and whatever other eans that go in it, you know, Jude 115, to uh, execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them, down to verse 18, how that they have told you there should be mockers in the last time, that's where you live in, ain't it? You ever notice that Jesus Christ anymore, anywhere you go, is not talking about in a reverential manner? It's always mocking. It's always cussing, always swearing. Uh, I mean, you, you don't even hear people apologize hardly anymore when they say God's name in vain. There's two differences. i told you this before. There's immoral and amoral. An immoral man cusses, and he goes, I'm really sorry for that. I didn't mean to say that. They used to say this. Excuse my French. That's what they said, right? But an amoral man, he just cusses a blue streak and he doesn't even he doesn't circle back, he just keeps going. Why? There's no morals in him whatsoever. But uh, in Jude 18, it says, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Man, you count the word ungodly in that chapter. It just stacks right up. And that's what you that's what God thinks about ungodly: ungodly deeds, ungodly ways, ungodly lusts. And that's what we are living like today, ungodliness. It sure is something else. This whole country is ungodly. And here's the thing. As dark as it is out there, if we carry the light of Jesus Christ where we go, man, that thing ought to shine like a spotlight. I hate to say it like this, but you don't have to be a very good Christian to let the light of Jesus Christ shine. I mean I mean maybe uh maybe 50 years ago you'd have to really be a super duper Christian to get past the morality of some people this country has no morals Everywhere everywhere you turn around there's scandals every time you turn around there's someone with their boots under their bed, and so forth and so on, and this scandal over here, and this thing's going over here. Oh, my goodness, I'll tell you what. It used to be kind of like you couldn't believe it, you know, uh, in the school system when when teachers would have an affair with another teacher that was married, and now it's just like expected. But that's what we're living like today. Verse 9, back to verse 9, 1 Timothy 1, verse 9, it says, And for sinners... For sinners, now you've got to understand this for a real quick second, the Jewish sense that Paul's talking about that's talking about grossly immoral. Grossly immoral. When he says the word sinners, he's not just talking about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's talking about the Jewish sense of the word sinner, and the Jewish sense of the word sinner was someone who's grossly immoral. That's Luke chapter 7, verse 39. I'll read the verse. Luke seven thirty-nine. when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a Sinner. And she was a lady of ill repute. That's what she's talking about. And uh, 1 Timothy 1, 1.9, the next one in that list is for unholy and profane. That means they show no interest at, at all in God. They're unholy. They're profane. They're profane. Then it says for murders of fathers and murders of mothers for manslayers. Now I want you to notice real quick that those who use the law wrongly, they're murderers of three kinds of people. You Ready? Murders are three kinds of people. Fathers, mothers, and then it says "men slayers." That means anybody who don't agree with them. You chase that thing right down through church history. You know, who, you know who religion has killed over the years? Anyone who doesn't agree with them. All in the name of religion. All in the name of crusades. All in the name of you better agree with us. And uh, something else. Look at verse 10. It says, for whoremongers whoremongers mongers, that's whore hoppers. That's going from one partner to another. And a whore is a woman of ill repute. To, to monger is like a dog. To monger is like a dog. They're out there chasing that stuff down like a dog. For them that defile themselves with mankind, they're disobedient to the law. There's your queers, there's your lesbians, there's your sex perverts. That's all the Romans chapter 1. And listen, this is where it needs to be taught. It needs to be taught from the pulpit, not the schools. But you're not gonna do anything about the school system, the federal school system. But you shouldn't let the television teach your kids. You shouldn't let the television teach you either. <laughs> Amen. You ought to have no sense of knowing to shut that thing off. That thing is the most ungodly, wicked sinner in your house. You realize that? I mean, would you would you honestly let a man in your home right now and would you let him cuss in front of your children? But you do it with that television. Would you let someone commit some ungodly act in front of your family? In person, right there you are, wicked as hell. Romans chapter one. All right, no, back in uh, verse ten it says for men stealers. All right, that means you can't go and steal someone to be your slave. Now, look, I understand we're in America, so some of your thinking is going to be a little bit jaded on this thing, but you've got to remember who's writing this thing. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Lord gave the Apostle Paul instructions on slavery. You do remember that, right? Okay. But, look, you live in America, and you couldn't afford slaves anyways. <laughs> you can only afford McDonald's, <laughs> right? You can only afford a large, you know, frappe or whatever, you know, you know minus, you know, too much sugar. But this means when he's talking about see, you can't go steal someone to be your slave. That's Exodus 21. Look at Exodus 21 real quick. We'll just run this down. Be done in about five minutes. I know you're tired. I'll get you out of here. He's talking about the law. It's used by men stealers. Exodus 21:16. 21:16. All right, the Bible says, And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. You can't do it. You see that right there? You can't go steal somebody's slave. But here's the thing. If you look in Exodus chapter 21, 1 to 6, you know what that King James Bible says? If you had enough money, you'd go buy one. (laughs) What are you going to do with that? Forest corn seven years ago. We lost our King James Bible and threw it in the trash. <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> you say, you're for sla- see, don't go there. I'm not for slavery. I'd be the first one to go into slavery. <laughs> I'm not for it. But the Lord was for it. He was allowing his own people to sell themselves into slavery to get out of a bad situation. What are you going to do with that? Well, you know, in the original, what, Hebrew? Yeah, it's right there. Man, read it. If you had enough money, you could go buy one. I know some of y'all are going to chuckle at that, but that's what the Lord provided. But here's the thing if you had enough money, you'd go buy one, then you had to treat them the way the Bible said you're going to treat them. And you had to take care of them completely medical, dental, everything. And you couldn't abuse them. And you couldn't beat them. And if you beat them, you had to set them free. You see that? Sounds like a pretty good deal, man. I mean, marriage, slavery. I mean, if you're in a bad way, might be a way to get out of hock before you get in hock. Amen. All right. But then if you bought the slave, how about this? The Lord put parameters on how long you could keep them. You see that? You could only keep them for six years. And the seventh year, guess what happens? Oh, isn't that what happens in our judicial system? After seven years, they wipe your debt off. I wonder where they got that. Right here, Exodus 21. You see that? Seventh year, you go out free. Most of your financial records are expunged after seven years. The longest they can keep them is for ten. Then they all get wiped clean. That's all in the King James Bible. Well, like I said, if you mistreated the slave, in most cases he was set free, and you paid for his damage or you paid for his hurt. It says in verse 10, 1 Timothy 1.10, for liars, for perjured persons... You know what a perjury is? You know what perjury is, right? That's lying under oath. Okay? And then Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.10, And if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, that's anything that's different than sound doctrine, that's because they're teaching the law the wrong way. The law can never save, and I know you understand that. But we've got to hammer that thing down. The law in its proper place is pure, it's just, it's holy, it's good, And you ought to always be in a place where you'd be willing to obey the law, but never for your salvation. Let's stop there in verse 10. We'll pick it up next time we're together. Well, actually, it's going to be about a week, so you get a break on that.